Welcome to Talk is Jericho. It's the pot of thunder and rock and roll, and it's Friday, and you know what we do on Fridays. It's the Duff McKagan joke of the week. Hey, Chris Jericho. It's Duff McKagan calling you. I uh, hope everybody's safe and sound and uh, healthy, and uh, you know uh, what I'm listening to, a little wild thing right now. Uh, safely quarantined at home, listening to a lot of music. Uh, you know, speaking of music, uh, do you know we asked the Invisible Man to come and jam with us one night? Uh, he said he couldn't, just couldn't see himself doing it. Thank you very much. Goodbye. All right. All right. Duff's been on a roll, keeping us laughing through the pandemic. Uh, thanks, Duff, and keeping uh, himself busy at home, hanging out with his family and listening to a lot of tunes. Since nobody can tour right now, including Guns N' Roses. But speaking of music, I've got some new music for you, as promised. It's the debut from my new uh, quasi-supergroup, Quarantine. We're doing 80s-era Kiss. Uh, only the stuff that Bruce Kulick originally played on, and Bruce is involved with Quarantine. Uh, we got Joe McGinnis on guitar from Classic 78. If you haven't heard them, they play uh, and sing songs that sound exactly like Kiss from the 70s, but they're all originals. We got PJ Farley from Trickster on bass and Ken Slucher from the Luke Bryan band on drums. That's my kind of nerd. That's quarantine for you. We did a couple of uh, 80s era Kiss songs. Bruce Kulick played on uh, one of those tunes, but this is uh, No, No, No right here. Originally recorded by Kiss in 1987 for the Crazy Nights album. So here we go. It's the debut single from Quarantine right here on Talk is Jericho.
right, that was the first single from Quarantine. No, 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 came out today. You can get it wherever you get your music, iTunes, Amazon, Spotify. The video is on YouTube. It was exclusive on Spin, Spin Magazine. That's pretty cool that we were involved in that. So uh, everywhere, anywhere you can see and hear music, you can hear No, No, No by Quarantine. And you can find out more about the band tomorrow night on the Saturday Night Special, 9 p.m. Eastern on my Facebook Live page and YouTube Live. You hear the whole quarantine story. You can ask us questions, have a couple drinks, come hang out with us. Uh, Bruce Kulik is going to join us along with Joe, PJ, and Kent. Uh, so come hang out with us. It's going to be a great time. It's 9 p.m. Eastern tomorrow night on Facebook Live and YouTube Live. It's the Saturday night special. Uh, come and join us. All right. And I'm glad you joined us today for something very special. Uh, Martha Hart is here. She uh, has not done a lot of public speaking or interviews over the last 20 years. But you're going to be seeing her a little bit more now because she's not only decided to do Talk as Jericho, she's also a big part of the upcoming Dark Side of the Ring uh, on Owen Hart. This Tuesday on Vice uh, TV also comes up on YouTube a few days after that. Um, but Martha's getting out there and she's going to uh, be talking all about Owen. But I wanted to do something a little bit different with Martha here on Talk is Jericho. I wanted to talk about the happy times, the fun times that she had with Owen, the love affair that she had with her husband, Owen Hart. Not so much about the end of his life, but the other parts of it that leading up to it, the, the, the good things. I wanted uh, just to put a smile on people's faces. So we're talking about all of that stuff. Sure, there's a little bit about her legal battle with WWE and uh, why she's been reluctant to speak about him uh, up until now. But we're talking about uh, what they used to do when Owen came off the road and Owen's relationship with his kids and what he wanted to do when he finished wrestling, which is really very fun. Uh, his favorite movies, his favorite food. And also Martha was almost one of the boys. She traveled the world with Owen to Mexico, Germany, Japan, everywhere. Um, she also was indoctrinated into the uh, lunacy of the Hart family at a very young age. And also, she's done a lot of work with the Owen Hart Foundation uh, in honor of Owen. So there's a lot of great stories coming up today. It's the love affair of Owen Hart and Martha Hart here today on Talk is Jericho. So really excited to have uh, Martha Hart with me here today. For so many reasons. One, it's good to actually talk to you and, and hear from you and see that you're kind of doing some public appearances, which you haven't really done uh, in a long time. No, I haven't. And thank you for having me, by the way. Oh, yeah. My, my pleasure. My pleasure. <laughs> and the reason why, obviously, is that the Dark Side of the Ring episode is, is, is coming up about Owen. And it's the first time we've ever seen you talk about it. And what really blew, blew my mind is seeing Oge and Athena talk about it because it's funny because talking about their dad, I found Oge on Instagram a few months ago. And it's like, he's this buffed up California surf looking <laughs> kid. Who's like a lawyer. <laughs> I know. I know. Yeah, no, I'm really proud of him, but um, yeah, it's, um, it's really been interesting to be involved with the dark side of the ring. And um, before we really get into it, I just really want to thank you, Chris, um, for doing such an amazing job narrating the episode. And I'm just truly grateful um, of the work that you've done on the project. And so I just want that to be known. Well, I appreciate that. And it's interesting because I had done a couple interviews for, for the show, including some stuff with Owen that, that we had in there. And then they asked me to narrate it. And the reason why I really wanted to is obviously some of these stories are, are very 
strange and crazy, but but especially for the Owen one, and I think I've told you this before, but it's well known that Owen was a huge influence on me uh, when I was a teenager watching Stampede Wrestling, and and one of the the reasons why I got into the business. So it was really cool for me to kind of be involved in that, and also once again to kind of let people know just how amazing of a performer this guy was. And I only got the opportunity to, to cross paths with him a few times, but obviously the stories that you hear, you're talking about, as you know, but for people listening, a wonderful human being, but also very much a pioneer for this style of wrestling that's completely, it's the way wrestling is nowadays. And that basically started in North America with Owen Hart for me. Aw, well, that's so nice of you to say. And, you know, um, I actually didn't know that he had such a big influence on you initially. And I really loved your artwork, um, I have to say. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, you're going to see a picture in the documentary of when I was in high school. Like, I was obsessed with Stampede Wrestling. You know, I, I, I appreciated kind of the style of WWE and how big it was, but I didn't know where... New York was or where Dallas was I did know where Calgary was because I'd been there with with my with my parents before so when I discovered Stampede Wrestling I just was really excited about it and then seeing kind of the guys that were smaller sized but very high flying that's when I basically decided I wanted to be tag team partners with Owen Hart and I drew a picture (laughs) of Owen Hart and, and whatever my name was Chris whatever Chris Chris Irvin or whatever it was at the time as the Stampede North American Champions uh, that's how much of an influence he had on me. <laughs> well, and you know, I appreciate good artwork because actually, my son Oj, um, he's quite an artist. So, um, <laughs> yeah, he's lucky. He got all the blessings. You know, he's a multi-talented guy. So, <laughs> lucky him. <laughs> yeah, that's what I was doing in the back of like science class or something like that. So no wonder I, <laughs> I had no choice but to get into wrestling. But what was it that prompted you to finally try and want to make some public appearances and and, and and talk a little bit more about Owen and, and his whole life. Uh, well, you know, it's interesting because, you know, it's it's a project that, that I was interested in doing for a while. And um, I was really grateful when Dark Side of the Ring approached me. And, you know, I do often get people approaching me and asking me to do different projects. And and I always listen to people when they approach and, and, you know, give them an opportunity to kind of let me know what they're wanting to do. And so then um, Evan Hussey, who's the producer of Dark Side of the Ring, he had reached out to me through the Owen Hart Foundation. And um, the message got to me, as they always do. And and, and I just sort of read over his, his interest in doing this project and, and you know, this episode. And, and so I thought, okay, well, you know, if this is what you're interested in, then I'll take the time and I'll put together some questions for you to answer so I can get a feel for, you know, where you want to go with everything. And, you know, he really didn't know sort of the, the, the responses that I was looking for, you know, sort of hoping to get. But unbeknownst to him, he had actually answered everything so perfectly, just everything that I was looking for. And so then I said to him, gee, like, you know, these are really good responses. I like the way that you, you know, you're thinking and the way you'd like to take this. And so then I said to him, 
you know, um, well, actually, I think he actually said to me, you know, would it be okay to meet? And, but he's, he's, he's from New York, um, but he was working in Toronto and it happened to be, I think TIFF was going on at the time. And so he, uh, he flew to Calgary and we met and we'd actually gone out and we had dinner and Oge joined us and we just had a chat, you know, and he, what really struck me about the producers of The Dark Side of the Ring was just their their complete honesty. And he was so upfront. And what I liked was that he actually wasn't sure what I wanted to hear from him, but he just told me the straight up goods. And actually what he'd said, you know, really resonated with me. And, you know, he he didn't know it, but he he ticked all the boxes and he said all the right things. And I have to say that working with him and also with Jason, um, the other producer on on the project, and actually all of Vice Media, they've all been just absolutely amazing. You know, it's really been cathartic, and and I, I feel so blessed, actually, to have met them because they really told the story that I always hoped would be told. And unfortunately, we didn't have enough time to really dig into, you know, every detail about about it. But I think viewers will really get a good sense of um, of, of everything that happened. And I, I think there will be a true understanding. I, I think it's very informative, and um, I think they'll they'll come away with uh, hopefully a really well rounded view of the whole situation and and a real understanding of the type of person that Owen was the life that we had together um of course the all the events surrounding the tragedy and 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 all the aftermath after that so i think you know in 44 minutes we managed to squeeze a lot in and i do have to remind viewers too that make sure that you watch the encore presentation because in the encore there's about a four minute sort of extra piece that talks about Owen the prankster Mm -hmm. which was the side of Owen that I loved but it it could drive me crazy too because (laughs) you know of course living with someone that just likes to joke all the time you know it was a bit it could get like a little bit crazy (laughs) so there's actually one time where I said to him Owen please, you have to promise me, like, you have to stop playing jokes on me. He looked at me just with that, you know, grin of his knees, like, I'll try. I'll really, really try. And it's like, you don't have to try. You just do it, you know. But he just couldn't do it. You know, he was just such a prankster, so. What were some of the pranks that he pulled on you? Oh, my God. Well, I I tell one in the episode, so I won't tell that one. But one one thing that he did to me that just drove me crazy, he knew, like, I was, like, afraid of mice and, you know, like, who isn't, right? Nobody really loves mice. And so, um, but even, you know, how you have, like, your tea and you have, like, it's hooked, the bag is hooked on a string. So he would take it and he would tape it into the cupboard. And so when I'd open up the cupboard door, it would swing out at me <laughs> and I would just like, you know, like just silly things like that you know just little things like harmless right but it was just be like oh my god like just little pranks all the time you know so how much time does it take to tape the, t- the tea bag for that one second rib right I know and it's funny because Oge actually has a lot of the same sort of humor and characteristics that his dad does. And, you know, what what used to kind of annoy me with Owen, I kind of find it endearing in Oge that it's kind of, I like that it's like, okay, you got that sort of trait from your dad, right? So, <laughs> Well, that's one of the things too, especially being the son of Owen Hart 
and you know the grandson of uh, the grandson of Stu Hart. That's kind of in the family's genetics, even to the point. My favorite Owen rib was when Owen would call Stu and pretend to be one of his old rivals and challenge him to a fight, and then tell him he's in the hotel lobby. <laughs> Reg Parks. Oh, no. If you think you're so tough, Reg, come on down and try me. <laughs> Exactly. And Stu would just buy right into it. And and then he'd think about it for a second. He's like, wait a minute, like, that doesn't even make sense that that guy would be here. And, you know, and then he'd figure it out. Okay, this was just Owen being uh, Owen. How was it for you? I mean, because you're from Calgary, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. So obviously, when you grew up in Calgary, especially that time frame, everyone knows the Hart family. They're the most famous family in Calgary, even to this day, with the giant house up on, on, on Coach Hill, Signal Hill. And so how did you get involved with this, you know, this this monster family of, you know, <laughs> gypsies, tramps, and thieves? And what was your first impressions when you first did meet them? Well, you know, I met Owen when I was so young. I was just, I was only 15 and he was 17 and we were in high school. And, um, and I also came from a big crazy family. So, you know, so I, I was like, okay, well, you know, my family was also a bit dysfunctional too. So it didn't sort of throw me off, but, you know, it was a bit um, interesting some of my first visits up to the house, because of course the house was beautiful, but like with so many big, you know, family members and they were all giants and, uh, you know, it was, it was intimidating for sure. And Stu was a bit scary. Um, I have to say the first time I met him and, uh, I was really nervous about meeting him, but then he just kind of smiled at me and he winked. And then I thought, okay, I think I'm in, (laughs) I think I'm okay. So, but you know, yeah, it was, uh, it was definitely, you know, interesting and it was a lot, it was a lot of mixed emotions, I guess, cause it was exciting, but it was nerve wracking. And, you know, there were a lot of interesting characters always at the house. So, you know, it was, uh, there was always something interesting happening there for sure. Do you remember any of the interesting characters that you saw? Well, there there were always people sort of there like fixing the old Cadillacs or there were different, you know, wrestlers that were streaming through the houses or, you know, even just different media people. They'd be up doing stories or, you know, in um, just even the family members too. There was always, you know, like with a big family of 12, you can't help but have some drama once in a while, <laughs> you know, and sort of you know, love, but battles too. And so, you know, it was, it was a pretty big mix of all of it. Because they used to have like, Stu had a bunch of Cadillacs in his front yard, some that worked, some that didn't tons of cats inside the house. I remember the cats would be running all over the place. Even to this day, when I'm eating at my house and a cat jumps on the table, I swipe the cat off and I say, this isn't Stu's house. Get off the table. Exactly. Yeah, there were always a lot of cats. And, you know, of course, they had the wrestling ring in the backyard. And so it was very, you know, certain that this was a wrestler's house. And so, you know, yeah, definitely lots of interesting components uh, wrapped all into one in that household. I love the fact that you met each other when you're both so young. This is basically before Owen even got into the business. Did he talk to you about he was going to go start wrestling and how did, did you used to go to the matches at the pavilion? And Well, actually, you know, um, 
Owen, he wasn't ever going into the business, which was so interesting when I met him. Of course, like we were just in high school, but we were working towards going to university and then eventually went to university. And Owen was at school. He actually gone to the University of Calgary on a wrestling scholarship, but he he was a um, like a true athlete. He did. He was a four star letterman. He did. You know, he was in football and rugby and track and and wrestling, but that's where he he got his scholarship from was was wrestling. So he was at university. We were there together, and he was going to be a phys ed teacher. That was sort of the plan. And and uh, and and you know, I kind of describe it in my book how you know he slowly sort of like it evolved where he he got into the rest of the business and his dad was you know the business was struggling because at that time Vince was just sort of taking over all the smaller territories and his brother Bruce um, approached Owen and said you know geez we're really hurting and we need some new fun entertainment you're this young big blonde guy and you're a heart which mm. carried a lot of weight in Calgary and you know um, there was a time in Calgary when you know there wasn't really much um, entertainment in Calgary and or sports you know we didn't have um, we didn't have an NHL team right. um, we did have football but it was CFL and you know so wrestling was such a big iconic thing in Calgary and and people would go you know faithfully every Friday night so um so it was it was a big deal in Calgary and and so then Owen you know he he was quite a sensitive person and he really loved his dad and then that was all it took was just that prodding about gee you could really help dad and you know really help the business we're struggling we're like you know we're bleeding money here so you know could you help out and so Owen went and worked um, just in the summer um, under a mask and just kind of got started. And then, he, then he, well, actually he'd worked under a mask here and there, but then he worked in the summer as himself and it, and it really helped to rejuvenate the whole territory. And then, and then it was just kind of one of those things where he'd had an issue at university where like he hadn't taken one of the classes that he was supposed to take. So then he had to wait um, he had to take a semester off, not by his choice, but he had to wait until he could sort of, you know, write the, like, I think it was the English equivalent or something. So mm -hmm. he had time. So then he just stayed through the summer and then into the following semester. And then by the end of that semester, then he was like, now he was like this staple in Stampede. So then it just kind of, he thought, well, I'll just kind of keep going like a little bit longer. But it was always just one of those things where, you know, it was never the long-term goal and it wasn't the plan to stay in it. But then, you know, as life kind of picks you up and carries you away, it has other plans, you know, and your original plans get left in the dust. And that's sort of what happened with Owen. But, you know, he tried for a long time to get out of the business and he, um, he applied to the fire department every year for years. And at that time, it was really hard to get on the fire department. You had to have a university degree. It was one of those like really, you know, sought after jobs, especially in Calgary. And um, his brother was a firefighter and so was his brother-in-law. So um, so he kind of knew that life and he liked it and he wanted to pursue that. So that was something that he tried. But he also was a Canadian and an American citizen. So he also um, applied to be a customs agent because he thought it would be, be ideal 
because he lived in Calgary, but he was an American, well, and a Canadian, but he could work for customs. And so he that was another job that he tried to apply for. And he always regretted that he didn't finish his education because he was actually a really bright guy mm-hmm. and he could have done it. But, you know, life picks you up and then we got married and then... Well, the problem is too, Martha, is he was so damn good yes. <laughs> at pro wrestling, you know, and it's one of those things. And you've mentioned so many things that I'm going to ask you about, but he was obviously a natural right from the start because I watched him, like you said, in 86 and he'd probably, I don't know if he had gone to Mexico then. You could probably tell me more about that. But he was so athletic, acrobatic. He could talk. He had the look. He looked cool. He was young. You know, like as a kid, I was 16 and he was only five years older. So he was probably 21 years old. That You could mm-hmm. relate to that. So I think once again, fire department, all of the stuff and gym teacher. But man, you're so good at this. I'm sure it was hard for him to, to say no. And also he probably thought, I'm actually doing pretty good at this. Yeah, and he was, he was a natural, he was a natural athlete, and um, and he was good at it, and it was always like, well, it was always a good thing that he could fall back on, and mm-hmm. it was, you know, it provided a good living, but the one thing at the time, it's different now, I think, but, you know, they didn't have contracts, so oh, if you yeah. got injured, then that was a big, um, you were always taking a big risk, so, okay, yes, it was good, but when, you know, if you were a practical person and you thought well okay I have to look at this long term like what if I get injured then mm-hmm. I, I have no work and then what am I going to do and I don't have uh, you know any sort of benefits or things like that so that was always a concern too that he he always thought yeah like this is a good plan B for now yeah. but you know it was it was not where he just wanted to keep being and like develop that career but you know I mean we were definitely grateful for the job because um you know at the time like that was our plan b sure which makes sense let me ask you another question that 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 you brought up that's interesting to me you mentioned he was very close with Stu yeah and that he never wanted to let Stu down but Stu was 50 years old when Owen was born Owen was the youngest of 12 for people listening so when, when Owen is 15, 16, 17, Stu is 66, 67 years old. There's a little bit of an age gap there, but Owen still was very close to his dad that could have been his grandfather at this point. You're right. And it's so interesting because I, I, I really think, and I think you know everyone would agree, that uh, Owen was, I think, Stu's favorite son, favorite child. Really? And they were just really close. You know, they they actually were very similar in sort of their philosophy of life. And, you know, they were both really straight arrows, clean cut guys that, you know, were really family oriented. And um, and I think that really bonded them. And then, of course, Owen, because he was such a good wrestler, which Stu loved, um, then right away that like for Stu, that just it was an instant bond with, you know, with Owen, because. Um, Stu loved amateur wrestling. Stu loved amateur wrestling more than anything, more than professional wrestling. And all he ever talked about was amateur wrestling. And he really wanted Owen to go to the Olympics. That was sort of his his dream. And Owen worked really hard at amateur wrestling. And he, you know, back in the day, he'd won like the city championships, the provincials. He went to nationals. And but then when he sort of reached a certain level. 
then he kind of felt like he'd achieved his goal in that area. And then it, you know, it kind of waned his interest in it. And even when he went to university and was, um, you know, there on a scholar, a wrestling scholarship and was on the varsity team, it was a struggle for him. You know, he wished he could just focus on university. But, you know, when you play a sport for university, like it's pretty all consuming. So, you know, but he knew it was uh, a nice link with his dad and he liked that part of it. You know, he liked that he could connect with his dad on that level and his dad appreciated it. So, yeah, and he, Owen really loved his dad. So, you know, it, it was hard to not do it because he knew it made his dad happy. When he started kind of traveling around the world, like you mentioned, finding success because he was so good. He, his career mirrored a lot of us that came from Calgary, and probably because Owen did it first, of going to Japan and Mexico and England and Germany. And I was always a year or two behind him. But did you travel with him during those times? I did. Yeah. I, I mean, not initially, um, you know, but once mm-hmm. he was established, then we went everywhere together. For, for a while there, I, I'd taken, well, about two years off of work, um, kind of here and there. I'd come back, I'd work, and then I'd take it off. But we went to um, Mexico several times, Japan several times together. We lived in Europe for two years on and off um, in Germany and Austria and traveled to France and England. And he worked in all those regions. And so, yeah, and it was quite an adventure. And actually, that was right when we got married and so I always say like that felt like the most normal time because <laughs> I actually could see my husband every day and that was really nice and um you know so it was it was the perfect timing for that time in our life that we could do that together and then you know and then Oge came along three years after we were married and then we had to sort of we were kind of like traveling gypsies but then we had to sort of anchor and um so tell us about that because you're like you know you're one of, you're one of the boys almost <laughs> traveling around all, the, all, all that much Can, tell me tell us about like because i know germany you would stay in the same place for six weeks six months or whatever it was and tell us kind of about where you would live and how that would work for you guys if you were doing the the european run well sometimes we had an apartment like i loved it when we lived in vienna we actually had a little apartment and that was great but a lot of times we were actually living just in caravans like you know like um, caravans, yeah. uh you know like a winnebago kind of type thing and so and we would be parked uh, in the parking lot, like at the arena. <laughs> so we were just really like carnies, you know, and, um, and it was a bit tricky cause you know, I'd have to like shower after the shows and they, they, there it was different. Like they would wrestle every single night at the same venue because they would do tournaments. So it was a bit, a different sort of style of wrestling, how they, how they did it there. And so, you know, so like Owen would have to take me in and like, I'd have to, you know, he'd have to kind of guard the door cause I'd have to shower in the the wrestlers like locker room kind of thing and usually the water was ice cold because everybody had already used a lot of water so (laughs) it wasn't fun or pretty but you know it was an adventure right like we were young and and when you're young you can tolerate anything you know so sure especially when you're there with the one you love exactly and and this is for auto vaunts in 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 germany and in austria because i did i did the hamburg loop so i know what you're talking about you'd go in those showers in the tents where the matches were and it was super freezing just reeking of smoke because everyone would smoke back then 
and you'd be in the same city every single night for weeks and months on end. Exactly. So it wasn't glamorous at all. You know, it was it was pretty tough living, actually. You know, it was you were really roughing it. But the whole kind of goal was, you know, just to um, to make money to get ahead so that, you know, like eventually you'd have something to show for it. So so it was, increase your name value. Yeah. Like, and it yeah. was. It was worth it. And, you know, we definitely had lots of good memories and they were really good to us. Um, I, I, you know, all the promoters were really pretty good to us, um, you know, from Mexico to, to Japan, especially in, in Germany. They were they were decent. Did you like, for example, if you were in, in the European, would you hang out with the other wives during the show? Would you guys kind of sit in the in the wives section like at a <laughs> hockey game or something? Well, I mean. If we went to the shows, right, like then, yeah, we would sit together. Um, but like a lot of times, because you're there every night, right, like you just wouldn't mm. even go. But a lot of the guys, they didn't have wives either. So there were just a couple of them that that had wives. And so and some of them were foreigners, like some of them were from Italy. So maybe they didn't even speak English or, you know, so it was, um, you know, but yeah, definitely like we were all like kind of one big family. And so, mm -hmm. Yeah. How about in Mexico? Would you obviously you're staying in hotels there? Yeah, Mexico was rough. You know, like the company they were really good, and the the wrestlers themselves were super nice and um, really accommodating. One um, Mexican wrestler, I don't know whatever happened to him. His name was Lino, and he was so good to us. But um, but it was just a scary place. You know, Mexico City, um, especially you know at that time in my life, like that. It's it's really a third world country there, and yeah. Um, you know, it's a big city. They have shanty towns. There's a lot of poverty. So it was hard sort of like on that sort of humanitarian level to see people that they struggled a lot um, there just to survive. And so that it was tough there. Um, you know, and also to the it was a bit scary because Owen, like the wrestling arenas, uh, you, you know, you'd kind of march out and they'd spit on you. And like mm. he actually was slashed a couple of times, like people. Oh, knives wow. to the yeah so it was it was scary you know it wasn't um I'm, i mean i'm sure it's better now but then it was and they didn't like the foreigners you know they love their lucha libra like masked wrestlers and so if you're a foreigner then you know but on more mask too um there and then they they finally at the end of it all then they unmasked them right because that was kind of like it, it's the ultimate defeat if someone <laughs> he was called the blue blaster he had two z's i think or two s's the way they spelt it i remember seeing that the blue blaster <laughs> and then what was your thoughts on uh on japan japan was really amazing like i it, it's such an incredible place there's so many people and yet it's so clean so well organized and um so safe like you you could walk down the street day or night no matter what anywhere and you know, like you never had to worry about your safety or anything it was just it just felt like the safest place you know like being in disneyland or something yeah, <laughs> so, yeah. Uh, and of course you get treated well by the promoters and by the fans owen was a big star there yeah and that was definitely one thing like um the you know the wrestlers were so amazing and the promoter was really good and they were always good to Owen um, New Japan Pro Wrestling they were they really treated him well and um, you know even 
before when he first started out and and he really liked it it was hard work because there in Japan I think it's probably was the closest to like you know you get in the ring and you are really fighting to the end and really the only thing that's sort of fixed is the finish and so you know it was hard work um, because they expected mm-hmm. a lot of you and because they're sort of all agile and really could you know do all the acrobats they wanted that too in a lot of their performers and so especially a guy like Owen because that's what they were bringing him there for and uh, so he you know it was pretty grueling um, his uh, trips to Japan and they were long because they were always about six weeks away from home and then you know they don't speak a lot of English there and everything's different so it was hard it was it was hard but it was good too. How did you like it there because it's a little bit of a culture shock. I liked it like I was so excited to get to go and I want to go back. Actually, I was going to take my kids there a few years ago um, just before the big tsunami hit. And then with all the, you know, the reactor melting down, then I thought, well, I better wait a couple of years, (laughs) but I would love to go back there. Yeah. I really want to go. If you did go back there, would you, would you, especially on this is kind of a big question, but you mentioned now that you had some, some clarity and some, some therapy. I can't remember what the exact, I don't know if it's closure or whatever, but now that you're talking, WWE notwithstanding, would you would you be proud to go back to a new Japan as a representative of the of the great Owen Hart? <laughs> oh wow. I never thought about it that way. So I was just gonna go back as a tourist, but <laughs> No, I understand. But the reason why I say this, Martha, and it's something that that that, that I, I think is very important for, from my end, obviously I, I respect everything on your end, but from a fan and as an influence, Owen is his his I think it's underestimated just how much of a pioneer, I keep using that word, he was as an athletic, acrobatic, smaller, I mean, he's probably 225 pounds, so not but not as tall, but as a performer, his legacy is incredible. And I think that's something that, that fans should remember and need to remember if they've never heard of Owen Hart or only know about his tragedy and not about this amazing life that he had as a performer in the ring. Does that stand out to you? You know what, I guess if I got an invite, then I would definitely, you know, entertain it. So, but I haven't, Mm -hmm. I haven't to this date. It's not like I turned anything down, but nobody's ever approached me about something like that. And I never really gave it much thought. So, but you never know, right? Never say never. So. But do you appreciate the legacy of, of, uh, of, of that he has as a performer? Oh, I do. Or do you understand it? You know what? I really do. I I always thought that he was the most amazing wrestler that, you know, he, he really just, like you said, he was such a pioneer. And, you know, and Owen really appreciated his fans. And that's like, I do feel sort of bad for the fans because like even just for example... Um, in regards to merchandise, there's not a lot of merchandise that's available for Owen for obvious reasons. But that's something actually working with Dark Side of the Ring, not to get off topic, but just, um, no. you know, we we talked about, gee, like, if, is there something that we could do to sort of commemorate this episode? And so anyway, long story short, we um, were actually um, going to put out some very nice t-shirts of Owen for fans. And so I'm really glad about that because I know that fans would like to have um, these items of Owen's and and I think it's important. Absolutely. 
you know, and Owen, he really adored his fans. He was really good to his fans too. And actually he enjoyed his fans company more over the the people that he worked for. <laughs> and lots of times he, he would spend quality time with fans. And some of the fans actually became very good friends of his, you know, because he, <laughs> He he loved people actually. He he really he didn't ever treat anybody that you know. It's like, well, I'm up here and you're down here. He he treated everyone really equal, and he appreciated everyone for you know the gifts that they they brought to his life. And and people were really good to him. You know, they they helped him a lot, and a lot of fans were really exceptional. And he enjoyed that time with them. Like truly, he did. So um, so I'm really happy that we can do this for the fans. He also was notorious for staying at fans' house yeah. houses and ha- having them pick him up at the airport. So much so that after after he passed away, there was this <laughs> like this legion of Owens <laughs> old fans that would try and like, "Hey, Chris, can I pick you up from the airport? Can I give you a ride?" And we would say, "It's Owens' last rib on the boys." All these people that you know, quite frankly, we were lost without Owen because they just wanted to hang out with a wrestler and, and have him come sleep in their spare room. And it's just like, leave us alone. This is Owen's thing. <laughs> I know. And you know, and that's what I mean. Like he actually, you know, there was no differentiation for him because he just looked at everybody like, um, you know, it wasn't like, well, you're on this side of the aisle. I'm on this side. He's like, he, he really enjoyed people and he enjoyed authentic, real people that, um, you know, sort of didn't have any, um, like errors to them, you know? So that's, I'm really glad that, that, um, I could work with the dark side of the ring and, and kind of, um, come up with, uh, some nice sort of memorabilia for fans. Cause I, I'm really happy that, uh, you know, that there's, they want it for in the first place, but, um, you know, that now I have an opportunity to do it in a way that I feel comfortable doing it as well. Well, the thing is, too, and, and this is something that I don't know how much you, and you probably haven't paid attention to anything wrestling wise in the last 20 years, but it's a whole new world now where it's not just all WWF, WWE. There's so many places that and you, you're talking about merch line. You could do a whole merch line of Owen Hart. I can tell you of the place to go right now that has nothing to do with WWE. And you can now you can do all that stuff. And if you wanted to do something with New Japan or AEW or anybody, even if you don't. Yeah. Now it's a really good time to do this because Owen has a whole legion of performers such as myself that were not disciples of him, but very much influenced by him. So it's it's really interesting how the, 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 the whole landscape of the business has changed to where now the Owen Hart, the legend of Owen Hart can actually be promoted outside of WWE because he was such a big name in so many other places. And that's really nice to hear because, you know, in the past people have approached me, but then, you know, after doing a little bit of investigation and research, then it always turned up that, you know, somehow there was this link with WWE. And then, of course, you know, I've, I've always just veered away from anything related to them. So then it always sort of, you know, squashed any opportunities. And I had done a few um, items early days, like a, an Atari game and different things like that. And then what we do is we, any anything, any sort of um, ventures that um, are sort of like merchandise oriented, we give proceeds, all the proceeds. 
to the Owen Hart Foundation. Um, and that was all always my big thrust was that, you know, I, I didn't think it was right that, you know, a, a company like WWE would make money off of his right. name when, of course, you know, I hold them responsible for his death. And so I never wanted to ever do any projects with them. And unfortunately, forever, they were the only game in town. And you're right when you say, like, I don't, um, I don't really know what's going on in, in the world of wrestling. And, you know, and it's interesting because in our in our life together, you know, wrestling was not a very big part of actually our life mm, gotcha. together. And um, it actually became more a part of my life after his death, which is so odd because, you know, he was just Owen to me. He was just my husband. He was a guy that I met, you know, when I was like young and we grew up together and it was, um, we had a whole different, you know, I didn't look at him like he was this wrestler. He was just the man that I loved kind of thing. And so, you know, so anyway, I don't, I, I didn't really follow it too much then. Cause it was, it was just his job, you know, to me, it wasn't mm -hmm. a, a like, you know, it's just like a lot of marriages, like, you know, what your husband does, he goes to work every day, but maybe you're not totally enthralled in every aspect of his working life. Right. And we had so much uh, other things that, you know, and our time was limited and precious. I didn't get much time with Owen. So, you know, we didn't sort of like just, I don't know, mull over wrestling. We, you know, kind of just lived and had other interests. But but then after he died, I actually, you know, learned more about it in a lot of ways. And it became more a part of my life in, in some ways, um, unfortunately, than, you know, than it had before. Than others, yeah. Yeah, so... What kind of stuff would you guys do when he wasn't on the road? Because like you said, too, back in those days, the schedule was insane. It's, it's not like that anymore, but he'd be gone for, you know, like you mentioned, you know, 15, 20, 25 days a month or whatever it was. What would you guys do when he came home? Well, you know, um, well, especially after we had the kids, like we would, you know, always be doing kid related stuff, going to the zoo or the science center or parks or, you know, that kind of stuff. And, um, just like activities, you know, like we're both pretty like athletic. So we would like jog or like swim or, you know, um, I love movies so much. So, you know, we always be going to movies and, you know, just fun stuff, hanging out, just, you know, enjoying each other's company. And yeah, that's like, that's kind of what we, what we like. What were some of Owen's favorite movies? <laughs> oh my God. Well, we did like Father of the Bride. It was like, it was a cute movie <laughs> at the time. Um, right. Um, of course. Martin Short. Well, we did like Rocky, I have to say, like the first one. And, and Rocky Three was pretty good too um, back in the day. <laughs> yeah, I have to think about that one for sure. But, uh, but he, you know, he probably didn't like movies as much as me, but like our first movie that we ever went to, I'll never forget it, was The Verdict with Paul Newman. <laughs> and it's mm. about an old lawyer that was, you know, an alcoholic and it was kind of his last case that he had to really like hammer home. And anyway, but I do remember <laughs> that was the first movie that we ever went to. <laughs> It's funny because I mentioned I only got to meet Owen a few times. The one time I met him, we were flying on a plane from Calgary to Los Angeles, and I was going to Japan, and I think he had SummerSlam or something, so we can I connected through there. And just by, by chance, we happened to be sitting next to each other, which to me was like, oh my gosh, I'm sitting next to Owen Hart. This is great, because I wasn't big in the States. I was working in Japan, and uh, I could tell that he wanted to sleep, but... 
I talked to him for a bit. I, I probably asked him a, little, a few too many questions just for talking. And then he ended up staying awake. And we talked the whole flight there, which was amazing. And he, uh, I remember he had a little travel bag that was about this big. And that was what he carried his stuff in. Yeah. And I was like, how do you have all your stuff? And he's like, well, I keep my boots at the, I gave them to somebody to keep or whatever. Because I, I don't want to have any care, uh, any bags checked. Because as soon as I get home, I want to get the hell out of the airport. And my wife's going to pick me up when I go home. And I just thought it was pretty cool. He didn't want to check a bag. No, he had it down. He had packing down to a T. And uh, <laughs> no, he just had like his little pulley bag and then his other little carry-on bag. And, you know, you're allowed to take like two carry-on. Right. He had it like to a T, just what he needed. And it's funny because sometimes like if they did sort of personal appearances or, you know, you know how you have to. Um, go and do an interview or something. He would steal Jeff Jarrett's clothes. <laughs> He'd be like, hey, "I need a nice shirt. I need like." And they were the same size, so he would just steal like some of Jeff's clothes. <laughs> <laughs> he uh, he also gave me some advice that I still use to this day, where he said, "I don't like to rush." He, he said, "Get there twenty minutes early to the airport. You can have a coffee. You can relax." And to this day, I always leave on time unless, you know, I sleep in or whatever to just relax in the airport for a few minutes. So you're not always rushing. Yeah. A little bit of Owen Hart advice. Right. There. Yeah. Yeah. Because why, why put yourself through that extra anxiety, right? And you know. <laughs> Right. How, how proud of you were you of him um, in about 94, 95 when he'd been in, in WWE for a bit as the Blue Blazer, then he was... Owen Hart and WCW and he goes back to WWE he's kind of floundering and then he does the, the famous angle with, with with Brett it just explodes him as a heel and as a character and as as a performer it makes him a legit top guy yeah well that was a really incredible time um for him and um you know for me like I always felt like I'd seen him wrestle so many different um territories and and different angles. And so I guess like, it wasn't a surprise for me that I always felt like I knew that he had like all of that charisma and he really liked playing that role too, like the bad guy. And, and I know I was like thinking, Oh my God, you know, when he had that match with Brett, like at Madison square garden, he was only 28, you know, he's just wow. young. Right? Yeah. And like, um, you know, and I, well, Brett, he's, I like, I think he's a, at least eight or 10 years older than Owen. So he's quite a bit older. Um, so, you know, but like, I was just thinking, wow, like, I couldn't believe how young he was and how good he was. And I, that was just like, because they show a little clip in the episode. And, and I just started reflecting kind of about those times. But yeah, it was, um, you know, he, he, he was ready for it at that time. I think, you know, He'd had a, quite a bit of struggles, like, you know, with the wrestling career. And then when he finally just embraced it and realized, like, this this is going to be our life for a little while here. And then he put everything into being, like, as good as he could be. And um, and it was it was great. And, and they, I think they both really enjoyed working together. Um, they both had, like, similar, like, sort of technical Yes. ideas and um i think too they they thought like in a wrestling sense kind of in a similar way so they knew what it took to make a good match and they could really play it out and um and they were they they really were good like they followed it to a t even in the airports like they never talked to each other and you know yeah. they, they really like played out the whole part of like you know not liking each other and uh so they both did a good job on that end you know, it's interesting because um, 
you also had the two Hart brothers that were the best technical wrestlers. They're both the best characters, both the best looking guys. Like they they were really were kind of the two peas in that pod of twelve kids. Yeah, but Owen was better looking, right, Chris? <laughs> oh, no, duh. <laughs> I always say whenever I watch uh, the Karate Kid and you see Johnny the heel. He always reminds me of Owen with that <laughs> hair, that swoop of hair. <laughs> I thought Owen did such a good job acting like like the little spoiled baby brother. You know, <laughs> amazing. See, that's the thing about Owen is is that he he understood that side of the business, which, if you ask me, is the most important side. Yes, it's great if you can do the technical wrestling and all those sort of things, but it's it's the character, mm-hmm. uh, and and he could play all of them. You know, whether it's 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 yeah. the good guy or the, the little spoiled brat or kind of the, you know, the, the all these goofy personas. I remember he did uh, he did commentary once and he's just talking to say, look at that. She, she's a hose bag. And I'm like, you can't say hose bag on TV, but it was so funny the way he said it. He just always had that kind of smirk. Right. <laughs> oh, my God. Well, um, I know. And, you know, he was just really developing those sort of like acting qualities, if you will. Mm-hmm. And that was actually something that he um, he was just sort of embarking on. You know, he he thought, well, maybe right. he would veer into sort of like more like acting. And, um, and he'd done like a few different things. And he did Honey, I Shrunk the Kids. And so he, he was... Yeah, he did. He um, actually, he and Brett had done um, uh, like it, they filmed it in Calgary, and so they, um, you know, they needed like some like kind of wrestlers to be in a, one of the episodes, and so they went and they they uh, like they had to audition, and they got the part though, and so he was just starting to break into like you know kind of the acting world, and and I think that he would have like kept going down that road as he sort of transitioned out of wrestling and you know perhaps sort of entertained uh like some of those sort of endeavors um um like brett had done as well he was um you know i can't remember the name of the episode but he was lonesome dove or something like that that's right so he'd done like some acting too and like a lot of wrestlers i mean oh my god look at the rock like i mean you don't get better than that and you know where did he start right um so it's it's it actually is sort of a perfect transition if you want to get out of the rough tumble wrestling gig. <laughs> so into something more body friendly. You know, it's interesting to me because Owen was 34 when he passed away. Right. So that was, that was 99. And if you look at, I think I might've said this on, on the dark side show. If you look at who came into the company a few years later, because Owen was still great when, when he wanted to, I remember he had a match with Davy boy in Europe. That was Old school, Owen Hart, amazing. But you could tell he could also, you know, the the matches that he's having where he's not really doing anything, putting clown noses on guys and that sort of thing. But if you look at who came in from from Benoit, Eddie, Edge, Christian, Jericho, Kurt Angle, I think Owen, had he continued wrestling, would have had a whole huge career resurgence because he would have been in there with guys who were just as good as he was in that style who were also kind of influenced by him and I bet you he would have said like, oh, this is great. He might have found that passion for the business again because of who he had the chance to work with. Does that make sense? Yeah, and that could have – that that might have even happened, you know. At the right. time, uh, wrestling had taken a very dark corner and it was sure. really seedy and it was just, you know, like, you know, bad was good and worse was better and it right. was just getting to like such a dark 
seedy place when Owen was there. And, um, and, and I guess, you know, the pendulum, it, it started swinging the other way after he died because, you know, I mean, I don't, I don't think it was appealing. Like, I mean, okay, you're always going to find some audience somewhere, but I think people, the majority of people, they still, they like wrestling the way that it traditionally was like more sort of, you know, not too raunchy, not too dark. Um, but unfortunately, at the time, uh, it it just been going sort of on this, you know, sort of downward trajectory. Mm-hmm. And it was really unpleasant. And, it you know, it wasn't just unpleasant for Owen. It was unpleasant for other guys, too. How was it for Owen when the whole thing happened with, between Vince and Brett, where, you know, the old Montreal screw job thing and, you know, Brett's leaving and, and, and I think Davey might have left. But then Owen was kind of caught in the middle of all that. What was he thinking at the time? Because he did end up coming back to WWE and got a, a push for a while and all that sort of thing. I mean, how, how did that affect him, in your opinion? It, that was a really difficult time for Owen because um, even though he didn't sort of share the same philosophy as Brett as far as wrestling would right. go, um, he knew that it was that was really crushing for Brett what had happened um, with Vince and everything. Um, and he felt bad for his brother, of course, but he was also beholden to a contract at that time. Um, WWE, well, F then, um, they just had introduced a few years before that like, you know, contracts actually where you were locked in for five years. And that's what Owen was. He was locked into his contract. So he requested that he be let go to when everything happened with his brother. And they said, no, that they, they weren't going to let him go. They just weren't. And, and so the way the contract worked was that, you know, if you don't work, you can't work for somebody else. Like you don't, you don't necessarily have to work, but then you're not making any money and you can't work somewhere else. And it was a very onerous contract, um, you know, where it really benefited only, you know, the company, Mm -hmm. not the wrestler. And so Owen was really in a tough situation. So he really had, he didn't have a choice. He, it was like, you either stay here or you go nowhere. So that's your choice. Um, But it was hard. You know, it was um, emotionally, it was difficult for him to see his brother so, you know, upset and and betrayed and yet have to stay and just fulfill his commitment that he'd made to the company. Um, So it was it was a hard time. I mean, he 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 preferred to leave, but they wouldn't let him go. They did give him a raise for they his did. contract, from what I understand, right? So yeah, they did. They, you know, like sweeten the pot, I guess, because I guess they were worried that he might just sit it out then and just say forget it. Like, I mean, you know, right? So at, at, at that point, he was already thinking about packing it in, anyways. From what from what you're saying, well, you know what? Like, I would say Owen was always um, in the mind frame of you know looking for an exit. But at that point in time, it was kind of like, you know, we decided that, okay, well, he would stay in it, you know, at least maybe until he was 40 or something, because he really needed, you know, to build up financially so that he could leave. And he had some ideas what he wanted to do after he left the business outside of like pursuing the acting and things like that. But um, what people might not actually know about Owen is that he was very good at building things and he he, yeah and he he liked to build bicycles he liked to build bikes like bicycles and he'd be a bike 
And so he like he would take old bikes and he would refurbish them and he just loved it. Like he put new pedals on and gears and whatever. And so he always thought, oh, well, when I'm done this, like I would love to have like a little bike shop where I could just put around <laughs> and, you know, like and he liked to bike. He like we that's another thing that we would do all the time was biking. And so so that was sort of a like a, an end dream for him, like when I've made my money and I'm just sort of retiring out of this business and you know, what I'd like to do is just sort of putter around and <laughs> with bicycles. <laughs> so. That's that's really cool. Something that no one knows that one. <laughs> Did you guys ever consider moving to the States or was it always staying in Calgary? Um, there was a time when we considered briefly moving when Owen was with WCW and they, well, he wasn't with them, but he'd gone for a tryout, I think. And, but they required that all the talent moved to Atlanta. And so, I mean, it was a consideration for sure, but then I, we just, we kind of changed our mind about that because, you know, I don't know, Atlanta is pretty far from Calgary and, it just, it wasn't fitting into our plans at the time, but yeah, so mm-hmm. there, that was one moment. That was the only time when we considered actually moving to the States. So it was a lot harder for Owen being a Canadian working right. for the WWE because his travel was always double almost what everybody else's was. Cause he'd always have to connect like Vancouver or Toronto. He always had an extra leg of the journey there and back wherever it was most of the time. And that point in time, too, Calgary didn't have a lot of options for connections. No. You know, I, th- I think it was like Salt Lake, Salt Lake City and Chicago, maybe. They didn't have anything to even New York at the time. No, it's true. Yeah. So you were limited. So you, he was always on connecting flights. And he actually, back in the day, they had this little, like, travel book, like, with all the airline schedules. And he knew, uh, he could have worked for the airlines because he knew the schedules better than the airlines knew. He knew when flights because <laughs> he was constantly changing his flights all the time, like, to make it so he could spend more time at home. Exactly. And so, yeah, but you're right. There weren't, there weren't loads of, um, you know, uh, opportunities to travel, you know, or, and connect to different places. Last few things. Um, the, uh, stampede pay-per-view in Calgary, one of the greatest uh, pay-per-views of all time. You were, you were there. Yeah. Uh, when it was the heart foundation versus Austin and the guys, how crazy was that night on your end? Because from a fan standpoint, it was one of the loudest nights I've ever experienced. Yeah, that was that was a bit of a crazy night for sure. That what I remember, um, it's interesting because you know, like I, I remember at the end of the match, like they made all the hearts go into the ring, and, right. and like I didn't know that that was going to happen, and uh, you know. Um, like Oge was pretty little, our son, and Owen had him. And Athena was like, she was kind of a baby, like not not baby baby, but like a toddler. And so then I actually was the first one out of the ring. And, and you know, Vince, he'd always slip out of the arena um, before like anybody would even notice, right? So I actually passed him on the ramp and he kind of looked at me like, why aren't you like back in the ring sort of like lapping and I just kind of looked at him and I said I'm sorry it's not my forte and I just passed him on the ramp with Athena and kind of marched up but um 
but you know, um, yeah, like that, you, the hearts were always, you know, huge in Calgary and people loved that they came from Calgary and they were wrestling royalty there. And I think that was like, no, nobody knew it was going to be the last big hurrah. Right. But, um, but actually, it, it did end up being, you know, I think one of the last times where they were all sort of together in the ring and and everybody was in there. So, yeah. And so it was, uh, I think, it. I'm glad that they had that memory because um, I, don't, I don't think that they ever got to relive that again. Right. You're right. Yeah. It did, uh, at this point in time, because after Owen's passing, the heart's so much tumultuousness and craziness. Do you have any relationship with the family at all now? You know, unfortunately, I don't, um, mm. and um, and that's that that's really unfortunate. But I, I mean, you know, I I don't know if people are really aware of everything that sort of transpired. Sure, of my course. Lawsuit, but you know. Um, the family, they weren't that supportive of my lawsuit against WWE. And and the, the worst part of it was that, you know, um, some of the family actively worked against me. And then other ones just remained silent. And, you know, that was almost as hard as the, as the ones that worked against me. So it really, you know, when you break the trust, and I felt really betrayed and sort of left alone and without any support then you know although I've forgiven them and I'm I'm totally Mm -hmm. you know past that and I wish them well and trust me like my life hasn't been easy and I certainly wouldn't wish you know harm on anybody I hope I hope life has been kind to all Mm -hmm. but you know um some things the you know the damage is done and you just can't repair it and that's um that that's one of the sort of the unfortunate sort of casualties of war, I guess that, yeah. you know, it's just uh, the damage is irreparable and, and uh, it can't be repaired, but, but, you know, I, I let it go and, and I, I wish them well. I really do. I know when, uh, when I found Oge on Instagram, I text Natty and I was like, have you seen Oge on Instagram? Apparently I think Oge and Natty have spoken a little bit, at least a little bit. So, mm-hmm. That's cool. And, and like, the grandkids are, are lovely, you know. Like, I mean, I've run into some of the grandkids. And, and you know, and even if I run into family members and if, I, if my kids run into the family members, I always have said, you know, you be absolutely polite and respectful. You don't be rude to anybody, you know. Um, just be a decent person because my philosophy is, don't let other people's bad behavior change you. And so it's like, mm-hmm. no, you know what? You'd be decent. And and the grandkids are, are really quite lovely. And, you know, anytime I see any of them, you know, I'm always courteous and, and I always speak to them. And But I just don't have a relationship with them. I gotcha. Has, has Oge and Athena, do they ever watch any of, any of Owen's matches at all? Are they interested in that side of his life? You know what? Um... No, not really. I, I mean, I'm sure they've seen snippets here and there, but to actually sit and watch, um, you know, not not so much. Um, Oge, um, he actually just graduated from law school and he's pursuing human rights law. He's just doing his master's in law. So <laughs> he's um, pretty enthralled in that. And Athena, she's a journalism graduate and she is, actually is right. She, she loves animals and mm-hmm. so she 
um, writes for a magazine. She has a column about animal humanitarianism. So their interests are great. You know, and and that's okay. They, you know, if they wanted to watch it, they certainly can. And and I've never discouraged them watching their dad or anything. But I don't think, like, I think Owen would be happy to, to be honest, that, um, you know, that they they aren't really interested in mm-hmm. in wrestling because he he always had this goal that he wanted to be out of wrestling before our kids went to school, because when he was young. Um, he felt like he always had to, you know, take a lot of garbage at school just because his dad was around and he didn't want that for his kids. And so he really, uh, he really wanted to be out of the business before they really kind of like got heavy into school. Cause he just didn't want that them to have to deal with like, Oh, your dad's the a wrestler or this or that. Like, and so that's kind of unfortunate that, um, you mm. know, like, my kids, they, they still got a bit of that anyway, but, you right. know. Where did you get the name Oge? It's such a unique name. Well, Oge um, was Owen's nickname because Owen's name was Owen James, so OJ. Ah. So his nickname was Oge. And I loved his nickname. And I always, it was really hard for me because I always, I always called Owen Oge. And so then when we had Oge, I had to learn how to <laughs> not call him. Yeah, and I wanted to name Oge after Owen because... You know, I wanted to be named after his dad, but I didn't want to have like big Owen, little Owen or Owen Jr., Owen Sr. So I thought, Oge, I love that name. And so that's, you know, sometimes Oge curses me for giving him that name because he's like, everybody's like, how do you say your name? OJ? OG? Yeah, yeah, exactly. So, um, but um, I told him, you just embrace that name. That's a good name. <laughs> it's great. No one else, no one else has it. That's awesome. That's it. It's unique, right? So last, uh, really last few things. Tell us about the Owen Hart foundation that you started and how, how big it's become over the years and what exactly is it? Okay. So, um, well, I started the Owen Hart foundation. Um, so, well, if I can just go back a sure. bit, you know, when I was going through my really hard legal battle against the WWE and you know and it, it was really tough like I have to say it was a knockdown drag out fight battle against them um you know and a lot of people might not realize this but they actually sued me for breach of Owen's contract um and and I do talk about this in the episode I I wish we could have gotten into it a little bit deeper but they how could they sue you for breaching his contract well it was the craziest thing because they had in their contract that you know you could only sue them in Connecticut but I wasn't suing them about Owen's contract it was something totally different but you know through that process of the lawsuit they were trying everything and anything to muddy the waters or just intimidate me. Um, And so they were just kind of throwing everything at me, you know, and that was also part and parcel of like sort of um, manipulating Owen's family and muddying the waters and just drawing it out, you know, because this was a company, they have deep pockets and they could pay lawyers forever to keep this case just, you know, going and going. And so it had gotten so nasty and so ugly. Like my lawyers, we couldn't even conduct depositions. We had to actually have a judge in the room just to, to conduct like basic, you know, depositions because the lawyers were always at each other and they couldn't get anything done. Like it was so vicious. And then Vince sued me 
because he wanted the case moved to Connecticut because in in Missouri you're allowed punitive damages but in Connecticut you're you're not so he was so worried that you know oh my god like there's so much negligence here like that the you know the punitive damages are just going to be like through the roof so he sued me which was really tough because I had to actually um, hire lawyers in Connecticut to fight that lawsuit while I was battling the wrongful death lawsuit in Kansas City. And then with the family, you know, um, working against me and, and the, everything was such a mess, it was just so discouraging and awful. And so then, you know, we had, um, we'd wanted to stop the delay of like the, you know, they were delaying, delaying, delaying. And so then my lawyers said, listen, if we put a number on the table they won't accept it, but then what happens is the interest starts running on that number, and that will prompt them to speed up the lawsuit. They'll stop delaying. So it was a tactic. So then we put this number on the table that, you know, again, like I didn't want them to accept because I wanted this to go to trial. I wanted accountability. I wanted justice. Right. And then we got to the last day where they had the chance to accept it, and then I said, to my lawyers, like I, I kind of panicked and then I phoned my lawyer and I said, like, oh my God, like I never thought about the possibility. What if they accept it? Then where's my justice? Like I don't get my day in court. And and then she said something to me that just sort of like it was like a bomb dropped. And she said, Well, you know, like at the end of the day, like all it's gonna come down to is money. That's all this is gonna and no one's going to jail. No one's mm-hmm. you know. Right. And I just I'd never thought thought about it you know because all I was just so hell-bent on was getting justice and then when she said that it was it was crushing to me to think like this is just going to be about money in the end and then then it just kind of came to me like a flash of light and I was like you know what then I'm going to make my own justice and what I'm going to do is no matter how this thing ends I am going to start the Owen Hart Foundation and so it was just like this insight that was just instant that and then it was just like it uplifted me and then I was like I don't care now how this ends because I know what I'm doing with it afterwards Mm. and then you know that's and that's sort of how like my evolution of thought process got me to the point where I could settle the case because before I, I, I looked at settlement like failure, you know, it was like, I don't want that. I want to be in court and I want accountability. But then when I realized I wasn't really going to get the justice that I was looking for legally, so I was going to create my own justice. So I created the Owen Hart Foundation in sort of like Owen's spirit that, you know, it would sort of resemble his kindness and his humanity. Because another thing people might not realize is, just how incredibly kind Owen was. He was the most, he was the kindest person I, I ever met. And he was so non-judgmental. He accepted everyone at face value. He never judged anybody. And he would do things that like people, it's just kind of unheard of. Like I remember one time he saw this homeless guy and he was just checking out of his hotel. And so he said to the guy, you know what? Like, I'm leaving early, like this room, you know, you got it till whatever time, if you want to go in and have a nap and there's like leftover pizza. And he said, just don't break anything, you know? So he just like, just, he would do stuff like that all the time. Like he helped people all the time, you know? So that was, so that's where 
you know, with the foundation, it was just like, oh, this is just like mirroring like how yeah. nice he was and how kind he was. So our mandate's education. We have two signature programs. Um, we provide scholarships for students in need. And also we have a housing component where we help families to purchase homes. And then we also have a partnership program where we partner with lots of other organizations so we help schools all over the world we we do so much stuff like I really encourage people to go and check out what we do because I could talk about it all day (laughs) (laughs) and I'm really glad like my kids are super involved and they you know they really help out lots with the foundation and you know like you had Jerry Seinfeld come perform I remember seeing that yeah we had so every year I should mention that too we do a high profile um entertainer event for the Owen Hart Foundation. It's our big fundraiser. And over the years, like we've had so many amazing performers. And you're right, we had Jerry Seinfeld. He came in for our 10th anniversary and he just came in again for our 20th anniversary. But we've had like Robin Williams and Steve Martin, Martin Short. Like we've had Wow, that's huge. Just like so like we've had so many great entertainers. We had like Ringo Starr, we had you know, Howie Mandel, we had like Russell Brand, like so many great comedians, you know, so over the years um, and musicians too, like Elvis Costello and um, Mm. Sarah McLaughlin. And so, you know, yeah, so it's, it's been really good. We had Bob Newhart, which I loved and, (laughs) you know, we we just had so many great people come in for us. And now it was interesting because it was really hard to get going with those types of events. And, but now we've built up such a great reputation as really having these amazing high profile events um, that now it's, it's nice because we have a good reputation and, and now they're happy to come in for us. It's not such a grind to kind of get people. And we had Alec Baldwin, which I love because <laughs> He did the whole Trump thing, and that was really great. <laughs> so it's become it's become a, a, a big name thing. So it's easier to attract the stars because you have this reputation, like you said. Yeah, so nice. Yeah. So here's another thing: is that people always talk about Owen, and we're talking about foundation. But what about you? What 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 is your? You said you went to university and you have done all this stuff, this great work. Tell us about what 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 do you do? <laughs> Okay. Well, um, I actually feel really lucky because um, I got to finish my education, which was really important to me. And that's kind of why we made education like the mandate of the Owen Hart Foundation too, because it's a nice big umbrella that we can fit a lot of stuff under. But I really feel lucky that um, I was able to go to Cambridge University, which was such an amazing experience in England. And now I work for the University of Calgary and the Alberta Children's Hospital. And wearing my doctor's hat, I'm able to help people in need, but, um, you know, by doing research and we actually, our research team developed this incredible parenting intervention called Attach. And um, it actually got funded by Harvard University. And now we've just received a great big grant from the Canadian government to scale it out to the public. So I feel really happy that like um, every aspect of my life, I'm able to help people like with my work hat on, but also with my Owen Hart Foundation hat. So I finally feel like um, it's all tied together nicely. And I do have to say one thing I like to do that's um, just sort of for fun. I mentioned that like I really love movies and um, I actually I'm I'm the vice president of the Monaco International Film Festival. Wow. And 
I, yeah, so that's a lot of fun. And that's just, um, you know, just like a hobby. I, I love movies. and But I actually have a movie blog where I write about movies. And my tagline is, you know, that um, find out the meaning of life through the movies you watch. And then it's a nice blog. It's positive. Like, can I just talk about, like, the takeaway messages from movies? So what's the lesson that this movie wants you to learn and, like, the life kind of thing so you know what something to kind of like look into if you're interested in movies like I am and I always put some kind of a personal like uh aspect in of my own life too so so that way that I'm kind of sharing with the readers too about myself what's the blog called it's just called like you know uh, movie meanings movie meanings got it yeah and it's just Martha Hart movie meanings and messages. But you're actually a doctor. It's Dr. Martha Hart. It is doctor, yes. <laughs> <laughs> well, and the funny thing is, you know, I worked so hard to get my PhD that for the first year after I got it, I made all my friends call me doctor because it's like, no, I worked really doctor, hard for doctor. this. <laughs> <laughs> so, but you don't have to call me doctor anymore. So. <laughs> no, when you're a doctor, you're a doctor forever. You're now Dr. Martha Hart. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. So last couple questions. Uh, do you have a, a favorite memory of Owen that stands out for you? And the other one is, what's your favorite Owen Hart match? Those, that's a twofold question. Oh, boy. Jeez. Um, well, you know what? Um, wow. I'd have to say, like, I probably have a few favorite memories for sure. But um like favorite matches, you know, he did some amazing matches with, um, with Hasi, who was a Japanese wrestler. Oh, Hase, um, yeah. yeah. And, um, Hasi was a great guy. I think he, he probably ended up becoming part of the, the corporate side of, um, he, he actually became a Japanese Senator, believe it or not. Okay. Yeah. yeah Cause he was a really smart guy too. Um, but uh, so some of his match Owens matches with hero Hasi were just off the charts. Mm -hmm. Um, and then I think too, of course, you know, like, um, his matches with Brett were really, you know, like a highlight for him too. Yeah. So I think those were some really good matches. Um, but yeah, like, like he had, he had a lot of good matches, uh, mm -hmm. with all his, like just, acrobatic ability and you know even even muck and sing who was um you know this great big monster of a guy from calgary days like you know owen could take a guy like him and they you know even though he was totally he wasn't the high flyer but they they created this whole no, he was the base though they had great matches because muck and yeah. sing was the base for all the stuff that owen did absolutely yeah great call that's right so, um, but you know, I, I mean, there's lots of really good matches that he had, but I, those are probably the ones that kind of stand out in my mind. And as far as memories go, oh, like I, I wouldn't even know where to start. Millions, like every, yeah. every, you know what, like honestly, cause our time was so precious and I, I really treasured every minute that we got to spend together, you know, like they're just all really special. And of course, you know, like everybody you know when you have your kids and you share that and you know your your wedding or different memories for sure like all of it's great but um but I think because our time was so limited together and it was really cherished and precious then you know like I I really just 
you know, that was always the reward for me. Mm-hmm. It was all the hard work when he was gone. And then when he'd come home, that was always the reward, right? That yeah. I got to spend time with him and he was my favorite person on the planet. Yeah. So, <laughs> Well, you know, I, I'm really glad that, that we got to do this. And I'm really glad that you're doing this. And I think you're going to get a lot of response from this, from people who are really happy to hear this story. Not the end of it, but but the middle of it, the beginning of it. And I think a lot of people are going to start remembering what a what a great person, what a great performer uh, Owen Hart was and, and is forever. Well, I'm really grateful too that you know I've finally had an opportunity to share everything. Where, like you said, it's sort of out of the box of a, a WWE platform, and um, so I'm happy that I've had the opportunity to let people know a little bit more about what Owen was like and how special he was as not only just a husband and a father and a human being, but, you know, also as a wrestler, because that's how they knew him. And now it's nice because they can know all sides of right. him. And and that's really special. And, and hopefully I've been able to kind of inform them. And, um, and I'm really happy that I know he still has a lot of fans. And so I'm happy we could do something positive for his fans as well. That's great. Well, thank you so much, Martha. That was just a pleasure to talk to you. Yes, really nice to talk to you too, Chris. Thanks. 